And we are here for episode, what is this, seven? I don't know. I'm going to say seven. Episode seven of Behind the DM Screen. Behind the DM Screen is a show where three DMs help each other with their games, and you get to listen in. Yay! Yay! See, I, I wrote that little description now, so we can do that at the beginning of every episode, and people will, new people will know what we're doing. Like Hive Mind asked for. That's right. Hey, this you, show is why, all about. Why you got to call the guy out? Fans you called him out, man, and I read his comments. Yeah. On this one, so Fan I think it's important that we recognize that our, our one. Our, you know, like if we have one listener, we should pay attention to what he has to say. We should absolutely. I mean, he actually commented on um, on another episode uh, as well. He's a, he's also a podcaster. Yes, I noticed ah. that. So there we are. And we wanted to mention one thing to people because this episode should be coming out uh, before Gen Con. And that is that if you are going to be at Gen Con, then you need to be at the Behind the DM Screen live episode. It is going to be Saturday. It is going to be at 7. And it will be awesome. And it will be awesome. Um, and it is currently the most sold Tome Show production live podcast of Gen Con. I have we, no we, idea what there, that is. There will be tens of people there. As it should be. <laughs> uh, and 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 I don't even entirely know what we're going to do. I mean, I assume that we'll go around and talk about our games, but you know, will we? Will we basically hold court and let other people come up and ask questions about their games? I don't know. I think that would I, that would be okay. Well, so maybe a little bit of both. Does Mike have to wear a crown? No, no. can I anyway? I mean, I normally would. I normally would. <laughs> I mean, it's Jincon. Uh, He's yeah. You normally get your crown on, right? Oh yeah. Dog's barking. Sorry. I did you that. wear? Did you wear a crown last year? I don't remember you in a crown. No, I didn't wear a crown. <laughs> he doesn't uh, wear a crown. Just... Men- mentally, I'm always wearing yeah. a crown. <laughs> well, yes, I knew that. I just didn't know if it had a physical manifestation at this point. So, yeah. in any yes, case, yes, it, folks, come to that. It is titled. It is titled behind the DM screen live. It is Saturday at seven um, over in the Crown Plaza, which is the same place where and same room actually where all of our recordings are. In fact. The recording right before that at 6 is going to be Gamer to Gamer Live, where Tracy Barnett is going to be interviewing uh, Chris Perkins and getting to know what his game is like. So you, you two should show up early. We, don't we all know what Chris right. Perkins' game is like? He writes like a 2,000-word article a week about it. <laughs> I suppose. <laughs> Catch both shows and get no discount. That's right. <laughs> yeah, right. You will pay the same price of $0. That's exactly and, right. And if you don't like it, you can have your money back. That's right. Donation, donations cheerfully accepted. Satisfaction guaranteed. That's right. All right. Uh, before we move into our individual games, and I've got a big one this this week or this week, this month. Um, we need to thank our sponsor, Continue Magazine. They just recently put out issue number two. Uh, it is a quarterly magazine all about gaming of all sorts, video games, board games. Um, in fact, they had an article in this one about The Rogue in all sorts of games. The Rogue as it appears in video games, The Rogue as it appears in role-playing games, all kinds of roguey goodness all across the gaming genre. You should check them out at Continue Mag. For entire generations of people now, gaming is as much a part of the fabric of their reality as television, films, books, music, and any other form of entertainment medium. Continue is a magazine for the gaming community, the global gaming community. Not just video and computer games, but board games, card games, role-playing games, alternate reality games, and anything that falls into the category of humans engaging to have fun. A celebration of gaming. Everything we love about this mad entertainment sector. 
Continue Magazine at www.continuemag.com. And we're back, and I am going to go first because I got big stuff going on, and I want to make sure there's plenty of time for me, and we will try to ignore Mike as long as possible. <sighs> we'll put Mike second. We'll adjust the, the outline. I forgot that you had gone last last time. Yay. Yeah, not a problem. And besides, Randall barely ever has anything going on because he never plays. Hey, now, I did play this month. <laughs> did so you? Excellent. It was all, yes. I even wrapped up my this particular adventure, so. Cool. I'm starting my timer. And I'm going to start ignoring your timer. Excellent. So here's the reason I've got such a, bit, a lot of stuff going on here is that this month, and in fact in two days, is the finale of my 1 to 30 campaign that we've been doing for four years. And so I want to make sure it goes well, but I also want to make sure, and this is the hard part, that all of the loose threads that I've woven into the game somehow get summed up and wrapped up in this one last session that – will effectively be one encounter. <laughs> okay. So that's that's the, the that's tough part. That's a challenge. When the last session ended, um, the party had gone all over the world and gathered up anybody they could find to join them as, as an army. They, they, they raised an army to send off against Zaztam in Thay. And while the army was raging, they dove into the center of the city so they could take out Zazdham's control crystal, which was helping him control all of the, the massive army of undead. So then they'd be disorganized and much easier to, to kill off. They destroyed the crystal. Um, it, and it, when it was destroyed, it tore a hole in reality and sucked them into the astral sea. They found themselves on the body of Azuth. The former god of wizards, who disappeared during the spell plague. Now we know what happened to him. Um, and on that body floating through the astral sea was Zaztam in a circle, performing his ritual to become an overgod. And between the party and Zaztam was Bane, the god, and his army. Hmm. Um, I know by the end of the encounter, Zaztam has to be dead. I know that um, one of my players has to be dead. The, the dwarven wizard has to be dead by the end, end of the uh, encounter as well because one of the players ha- uh, is a um, punisher of the gods. This is Epic Destiny where he's supposed to be sort of this assassin of, of the gods. Not killing the gods but killing for the gods. And I sort of gave a prophecy for, through the Epic Tier of putting tattoos on his arm of all the people he was going to kill in the order he was going to kill them. And so we're down to the last two, which are Zaz Tam and then Cotton, which is the uh, Dwarven Wizard in the party. And he's freaking, the, he's been freaking out about it. Okay, so the Dwarven Wizard knows. He knows his name is on there. Okay. And he doesn't know what it means, and he's really freaked out about the whole thing, mm. which is awesome. So I know that has to happen, and I have some ideas of how that happens. Um, the idea that I have of how this whole thing works is the party's got to get to Zaz Tam. He is essentially um, currently more or less invulnerable. You can't hurt him while he's within that circle. Mm. Um, so what they will do, they've been spending the, the last two tiers gathering up weave magic that was left, left over in the world. So the idea would be that they use the weave that they have to change the energy of his circle into weave, which would then allow them to get access to it. But doing that, they give up sort of all this weave that they've collected. They drain themselves in order to change the energy of, of the circle. Then they kill off Zaztam. 
then they have the opportunity because there's all this divine energy that's been collected in this one spot to bring back the goddess of magic, which is what they've been trying to do since the beginning. But to do that, they need somebody who has you know a lot of magical know-how to get in there and direct that energy, and that is hopefully going to be our dwarven wizard, who will. And this is the vision I've had for for years now. Not actually end up bringing back the the goddess of magic, but becoming the new god of magic. Mm. Ah, okay, okay. And part of my the what I'm thinking of, you know, I, I can always just say that well, he, his mortal form died when he became a god, and I could cross it off the list there. I could also make it a little more dynamic and say, you know, um, you have to actually kill his mortal form in order for him to become a god. And so maybe the the ranger who's got the tattoos has to actually kill him off on his own. Mm-hmm. We'll see how that plays because. They may just choose not to do it, and then where we where do we go? So, so I've got that more or less figured out. Um, I did want to try to make something special to highlight each character within this this one big encounter. I feel like you know this is the sort of the time to do that, right? And I'm having a few that I'm still struggling with a little bit. I've got one who's sort of um, his epic destiny and his storyline is to make, become sort of this great leader and this great general. So I have this idea that. The more successful he is throughout the combat, the more successful the army that's coming through to help them that they've raised will be. Right, So mm-hmm. that, that ties into him and makes him a little bit special. I've got another character who's carrying a sword, uh, Godsbane. And I don't know how familiar you are with, with Realm's lore. Um, the original Godsbane was used to kill some gods and was actually the god mask in disguise. Which is, mm-hmm. why, right. which is why it was able to kill gods. Um, this Godsbane although I don't know that they entirely know this yet, is actually Sirik in disguise because Sirik has been imprisoned and can't, mm-hmm. can't leave his plane. Um, so this was his way of sort of manipulating things. He, he legitimately wants Mistra to come back because he feels like – Sirik in his insanity feels like, well, if, if Mistra comes back, then I can't be in trouble for killing her and they'll have to let me go. Mm-hmm. Okay? So he's got Godsbane and I got to figure out sort of what to do with that. And it's, I, I've, it's been difficult sort of building a lot of the story with that because that, that player has been intermittently uh, available. But he's going to be there for the, for the conclusion. So I got to figure out what to do with him. Um, I got to figure out what to do with the dwarven um, fighter who's sort of our, our big defender guy, right? The guy who can never fall. And I got to figure out what to do with our sham- shaman um, who has a running thing of having died many, many times, and he keeps coming back as new people, new um, classes every time he dies. He comes back as something else. He died once. He came back as a revenant. Then something happened with an artifact, and he came back as a deva. Um, then he didn't really like pl- the class that he chose to be with the deva, so we killed him off, and he came back as a shaman again, which is where he started. Is he still a diva, or is he something else? He's still a deva. Um, but he's had this long history sort of of reincarnation or being re remolded. So I got to figure out what to do with, with him, the, the dwarven fighter and the guy with Godsbane, who's a sword mage, uh, Genasi, if that matters. Mm-hmm. So how do I make the, the encounter awesome? And what do I do to make those people feel special? Hmm. Well, are they all going to fulfill their epic destinies with this last bit? That's sort of the idea. Yeah. Okay, so – and you know what the epic destinies of the rest of them are, right? Yeah, the epic destinies have tied in very strongly with um, with the whole epic tier. I made it a big part of the story. Um, the the Deva who keeps being reborn is actually a, a reborn champion or something like that. So 
it's again ties into this whole concept of him being constantly reincarnated. Um, the dwarven fighter is a, a legendary defender or something like that. So again, he's a big guardian guy, right? And I sort of have this idea that that when Cotton, the wizard, becomes a new god of magic, then some of these people could end up becoming exarchs. So what are uh, one of the things? I mean, you want to? It would seem like you'd want to offer up some choices for people. You have a lot of destiny that's kind of guiding people. Yes, but it's also lots of fun to have some kind of damned if you do, damned if you don't choices. Yes. Uh, one of the things with the diva is I believe that divas who fail or don't, you know, where it doesn't work out right, become rakshasa. Mm-hmm. So if there's some way to kind of add in a choice mechanic where he could sacrifice himself and become a rakshasa, that would somehow fuel, you know, the other players. So now, you know, it put it could put a potential dark slant on the ending. But personally speaking, I've never won for a nice clean ending anyway. Yeah, that's fine. Um, I mean, that's one thing that comes to mind. I like the idea that the general is kind of leading, you know, with his actions is leading this whole other this whole other group. It's a little abstract. Um, yeah, and I haven't figured that out mechanically yet at this point, but I sort of feel like I could pretty well do that on the fly and just sort of see how successful is he being, how good is his strategy for the, the party working, how good are his roles in general, right. and just sort of extrapolate that into to, you know, how many of Bane's ar- how much of Bane's army is getting in their way. Right, right. Well, and I'd still feel that the more, I mean, the higher level you go, I think the less mechanical you need to be. Right, sure. Yeah, I mean, you could do so, a whole kind of skill-based system where he has to lead the armies up against Bane beforehand. You know, does it have to be? Could, mm-hmm. Does it have to be during or after the fight, or could it be a, a little bit of a story beforehand? The well, we left off last time as um, time sort of stopped. They they got a blessing from the gods which was basically them getting an extended rest. Right. And then time started again, and there's Bane and his army and Zastam and Go. Right. right. And so he doesn't does, – so is there any good army for this guy to lead? The, the, there is a good army that are still currently in Thay. My concept was that after about round one or two, um, they'd start coming through the portal as well to help. Okay. So, I mean, you could do a lot with flavor there, and you could kind of have him do a do a warlord speech to – you know, kind of. I mean, do you want the fight with Bane's army to happen before Zastam? Uh, Bane and his army are going to be the obstacle that stops them from just going straight to Zastam. So it's all happening yeah. simultaneously. And so, I sort of envision that as they deal with Tam, the the, the army's still there too. Yeah. Like I've sort of, might, I've know, designed I mean, I've designed Bane to make him pretty darn unkillable. How's the How is <laughs> so, the player at thinking on his his or her feet? The general. Yeah. He's okay. I mean, could he, you know, if you had him come up with a big battle cry, big, big war speech that he's got to give, you know, Braveheart style. I could, I could try. King, and, I King could, you know, what's his name from Lord of the Rings? Mm-hmm. You know, I'll try all for wrath, all for ruin in the Red Dawn. I love that. That's my favorite line in there. Yeah. So that, you know, <laughs> he could, if he can kind of give his war speech and then roll, he could either roll checks or you could just say, wow, that's a great speech. They're all rallying to their, to the cry. And he leads that army in and then the armies smash together in some giant epic battle and while that army you know that leaves enough room for the party to go in and go after zastam mm-hmm. um but um, that gives him kind of closure on his big leading those leading that massive army yeah and I, and I really like the idea especially for him because he hasn't felt particularly connected to the story for a long time yeah so, so this will give him that that chance to give the big speech but he you know i mean a, a player that's kind of okay give your big speech and then he's like oh <laughs> i don't you know. know i don't know how, how he'll do on the fly there sort of 
Yeah, I mean, he, it's, it's, I know, I know that I've, I've had, I've had both. You know, with with kind of players who are more into it. When you say things like, um, you know, okay, what do you do, or you know, what do you say? They they can immediately jump to something where other people are not comfortable with that. So then you might say, well, if you're not, then go ahead and start rolling checks. Sure. I assume, I assume he has good um, he's conversational. The, he's the really high charisma guy. Yeah, so he, you know, he should make the checks, and you could have a series of checks and kind of, you know, kind of lead lead him on as far as what checks are are are, are firing it up. And he had a little bit of a moment to shine in the last session as well because he was the one taking the lead in terms of recruiting the entire army as well. Right. So now you have a dwarf fighter and a shaman. I got a dwarf fighter, a shaman, and the the Genasi with Godsbane. Ah, uh, Genasi. Godsbane's the one I'm the most concerned about because it's a huge thread that I feel what's like the, I need to talk about. What's the dwarf about. fighter's epic destiny? He's the eternal defender or something like that. I mean, okay. he's, he's, he took what he already does really well and then took an epic destiny to make him do it better. It'd be interesting to have a part of the battle that he has to continually defend against. And, like, as long as he's defending it and taking it. You said he's basically immortal? Well, he's not basically immortal, but the way it ends up working out, he is. I mean, right. So, I mean, if you could find as, like, as soon as he drops to zero, he gets to use, spend healing surges pretty much indefinitely. He's right. always he's always got you know every time he hits something, he gets fifteen temporary hit points. So, I mean, yeah, the guy's impossible right. to kill. Right. So if you if you have some kind of mechanism that's there, you know, maybe Zastam has some kind of big weapon, and if the weapon was unleashed on the rest of the party, it would eat them up. But as long as he's able to defend it and kind of hold its aim to him. You know, and it's doing ass loads of damage to him, so he has to continually defend against that. But that's his, you know. But f- as long as he's doing it, it's working really well. Like it's keeping that beam off of everyone else. And you I know, wonder I if I could tie this in. Death ray. Uh, when I gave them all epic destinies, I sort of they each had sort of uh, an encounter, oftentimes with some sort of divine being. Um, although I've got a an NPC character that's popped up every now and then that they is a sort of a blind woman with. Uh, Blue fire coming out of her eyes. Who's got her, uh, you know, a, a blindfold on? Right. Who's had this sort of seeing the future sort of thing? She showed up a little bit in in heroic and Paragon, and then sort of disappeared. But then later on, the the party actually found a little girl mm-hmm. who I don't know if they put two and two together, but it was described specifically as a younger version of the same woman. Right. I have sort of it in, in my head that she becomes a servant of the new God of magic after the whole campaign's over and help put a lot of this in motion. Yeah. So, um, she's available if we need her. Um, I wonder if I can't use th- the, the dwarven fighter, then, uh, the super defender to somehow defend and protect, um, the wizard. I did sort of lay out when they had the, all these encounters, I laid out sort of these little goals. And then when I, I gave them special powers at one point for these weave scars, this thing we invented for the game, or I invented for the game. Um, and I actually summarized each of their little goals, their little epic destiny goals, uh, in a sentence as the descriptive text of their weave scar power. And his, and his is something about protect him, you know, um, protecting, you know, being vague about who him is, but protect him in order to bring back magic. Right. And that could work. Is there a? Do you have some kind of giant melee weapon that would work for that Zastam would have that the defender could, you know, could defend against? 
the you turn in terms of a weapon, you mean? Uh, well, I mean, I'm creature. trying to think that, like, you know, so if you've got Zastam and, and he's he, first of all, he's got his immortal protection thing, so that you know they have to break through that. Mm-hmm. And you know, he might also. I mean, I know that any dwarf fighter that I've ever seen likes fighting other big melee things. It doesn't, you know, it, it doesn't like defending against pain in the ass controllers. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but, and it's, you've, you've already had like the, the Bane, uh, you know, the, the, the iron golem of Bane. And I think you've already run Balors and you've already run some of the bigger. Well, I'm wondering if what he, what types. he can't defend against is actually. Ooh, an, an, a Kodis, Kodis G. Well, I was, I was wondering if I, if I couldn't just make it, um, he, he's actually protecting the party from an environmental effect. Well, but you could even make that environmental effect like an elemental, like a massive stone elemental or something. And, and you know, the elemental would crush the wizard folks, but he has to keep that elemental off. Maybe the elemental has some kind of anti-magic thing that, you know, makes it so only melee can, can really do much against it. And, and you know, just pick a big elemental. I'm, I'm looking through the Earth Elemental book here. Greater Earth Elemental, you know, level 22. Um, so if you up that to 30-something mm-hmm. and, and gave him some kind of rune... That, you know, he's a, a ruined, you know, ruined elemental of Thay or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah, and it's got some kind of magical defense thing so that the fighter, you know, you want to, you don't want to make it too straight, but you want to make it like the fighter clearly wants to lock that thing down. Right. And if the fighter, and, and you don't have to beat it, like, you know, it doesn't, it has hit points and you could do damage to it, but you can make it pretty clear, like, if you can defeat Zastam, that thing's going away. Right. You know, like Zastam is the only thing that's keeping that thing in place. So it's course, kind of an environmental of course, the, effect. The ranger will just take him out in two rounds, but it won't matter. Well, won't so matter. that's why, you, yeah, you can put a whole bunch of, ooh, well, you could use my nasty reflect thing, and I love this, where as an immediate interrupt, it can reflect an attack against an, an ally. So if your ranger hits it with, like, a big crit, it just redirects that to the fighter, and the fighter suddenly takes 210 points of damage. <laughs> um, mm, mm. You know, and they'll do that once. And he's like, never mind, I'm not shooting that guy again. <laughs> Keep the um, striker away. Yeah, right. So, I mean, you, or you get him given the explosive aura, which I always like, that every time it takes damage, it, it does damage out. But you, mm-hmm. you basically want it so that the fighter's going to lock that thing down. Mm-hmm. Um, unless your fighter really wants to lock down Zastam, but that's, you know... I don't know. Yeah, no, I've got some ideas. I can I can start to build something there. Yeah, I still need something for the Deva and the guy with Godsbane. Well, the, the, I think you have to have. I think if you can take the Deva, the Godsbane, and the Wizard, which which and kind of interconnect their stories somehow, like interconnect their destinies. I I think you you want them to make choices, right? Like you don't you don't want to have it where there's one path and that this mm-hmm. is definitely going to happen. You want to have it where they have to choose, and the Wizard might choose like maybe the if the and I'm, i don't know how this is going to work out but something along the line like if the wizard is going to become the god of magic that means the deva has to sacrifice himself himself him mm-hmm. you know the deva has to sacrifice himself and he sacrifices like he's come back as a rakshasa he's going to lose his soul and be an immortal soulless entity you know which is dark but then the alternative is the wizard dies and the the god what is it the god's bane the sword the god the, right, the god's bane the Godsbane is the one that has the tattoo of the wizard, right? Uh, no. Who has the tattoo? That's with... the that's the ranger. Oh, and the the ranger is not the Godsbane. No. Uh, um, your story is really complicated. Um, it's been four years. <laughs> yeah. So uh, you you want to kind of interconnect them so that there's some choices that they have to make, and and you know the easy one is that one has to sacrifice, you know, whatever the because the other the other part of it is you you have this defense for that that's surrounding 
um, well, and the, and the obvious the obvious thing with Godsbane is um, he could have a choice to to use it in a certain way that would help, but doing so will actually free Cyric, right? Which right. nobody which nobody wants. Right. The question is, what is that? Wh- what exactly is that choice? <laughs> it's, you know, if it's free Cyric and do good things, or don't and don't do good things. What what are the good things that, you, that he could do by freeing Cyric? Yeah. Wait, wait, what, you, what, what advantage does Cyric give him? It's just a kick-ass artifact. Does yeah. Cyric, how does Cyric and Zastam get along? Oh, Cyric's crazy. Cyric's crazy, yeah. So, I'll tell you, you know what, though? Uh, Cyric and Bane have a history of not getting along. Yeah, Bane was one of the older gods before Cyric ever existed. Right. So it could be an issue of... Um, I'm he, thinking of some he, way to draw could, out Zurich to he, battle, help him battle one of these. Right. Battles. What if he could actually use Bane or use God's Bane to to neutralize Bane? Uh, but doing so will mean that Zurich has the opportunity to take the body of Bane and be free. So yeah. basically, Bane's Bane. Yeah. Oh, oh, what's that noise? <laughs> oh. oh, that's that alarm I'm ignoring. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, one thing not to do is not to, I mean, I, I don't know, maybe your players are really into all of these little intricate plot lines, but you also don't want to make it too complicated. Like, first of all, you don't need to tie every loose end, I don't think. You know, that the main thing is you want to make sure that your players feel satisfied with what they have. No, so no. you need to tie up all the ends that they have come to you about, that sure. they're clearly into. Um, but you know, it doesn't need to be like Battlestar Galactica season four where, you know, <laughs> they get, yeah, no, I, Hey, look, everyone's, everyone's a Cylon. A Cylon. No, no, no. Right. I, and I, and I get that the one big loose end I, that I'm want to make sure we tie up though is God's Bane. Yeah. Hmm. I mean, the other part of it is, didn't you say that, um, um, Zastam himself is becoming a God. Yeah, the concept is he's actually becoming an over-god, sort of uh, on the par with Ao. So wouldn't the god's vein fit pretty closely with that? Okay. How? I don't know. <laughs> I mean, that, you know, his, his destiny actually is to destroy a god, right? I mean, is that the god's vein destiny? What's the, what's the kind of hook on oh, god's vein? Oh, wait a minute. Wait a minute, guys. What if the ranger realizes that the only way he can kill Sastam is by using god's bane after all? Even though it's not his weapon. Silence. So to, to finish off Zaztam, God's Bane has to be but okay, but what's the yeah. what's the choice there? I, I see the challenge. What's the choice? Um well I don't know if there is a choice. <laughs> I like the, the Mike's idea of making make, giving a choice because that's yeah. something very well tied into what that that story sort of. Well, is this all? I mean, what do you already have a plan on how you're going to break through whatever this immortal shell is that surrounds Zastam? Yeah, I've got some ideas. I mean, because the other thing is, you could you could have it where you know the only thing that's going to break it is you know a a very powerful entity giving up its soul and kind of feeding the energy of its soul into it, and the God's Bane could be one potential path to do so, but would also release Siric. But the alternative is for the Diva to release its soul and become a Rakshasa. I don't know. Okay. I'm grasping. I'll think on that. Because, um, yeah, I mean, the original concept was that this would sort of be, you know, they spent 20 levels gathering up all this weave magic, and the idea of yeah. how to break that shell was going yeah, to be, it was gonna be used gi- give, giving up their but, weave magic. That they've and, and maybe they have to give that up, but they, it turns out that's not enough. That's not enough, and they need one last sort of punch. They, yeah, they need right. something to break through, and, and whatever it is that's going to break through is going to be a sacrifice somewhere. Um, how are you statting out Zestam? 
because I'm all about the mechanics. Mm, I've got stats somewhere. Um, I've got them on my laptop, I think. If you haven't already, if you already got something already planned out for him, then that's fine. I was going to say that uh, uh, Dragoth, the Sorcerer King from um, Dark Sun, Dark Sun uh, is a pretty good level thirty solo controller that feels very Necromancer style. Mm-hmm. You'd want to up his level to probably thirty five. I think add, add five on everything, and he probably needs more damage because it looks like his damage is. Low. I think I started with the the already statted Zastam. Yeah, but he's that, that which, was, which was horrible. Yeah, um, I bumped him to level forty. Wow! Did a bunch of st- stuff with him. Can they still hit him? Yeah, I get probably. Are you kidding? They'll, they'll be fine. What's defensive forty fifty five? Fifty five AC. And I tweaked a little bit of that too because um, Zaz Tam is not going to be mobile. He's almost in as much an environmental effect as he is right. a, a creature. Right. Um, so no, he'll be fine. Um, I think <laughs> I'm not. I'm not worried about them. They'll take out Zaz Tam without much of a worry, especially with the ranger. Right. Right. Yeah, Refle- damage reflection, man. Can I have some fun with the ranger. With yeah, that? no, no, I've got some ideas for that too. Yeah, I was going to do some damage reflection with Tam, which is why I wasn't sure if I wanted to do it on yeah, on the on elemental your, thing. On, your, on the elemental thing, yeah. Yeah, you but could I'll, just give him a big reduction to range attacks. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, we'll see how it goes. Cool. Okay, I've got enough ideas to start to play with something. Awesome. Cool. Since. Since your alarm already went off, I suppose we can let Mike talk. Yeah, and I will set my. I won't be a hypocrite. I will set my alarm for myself, <laughs> and I'll try to keep it so. Um, so I've been. I ran another session of Guardmore, but then uh, my wife got sick, and then I got sick, so we missed two weeks there. And then this week we had the Fourth of July, so all of my regular group were off doing Fourth of July stuff. So I ran one session of Guardmore after that where they went into the the Tower of Madness or whatever it is, which is this this crazy far realm tower that's got yeah. lots of bad stuff inside. Now I kind of know um, what you're talking about because I've read through most of the books. Yeah, and that was cool. I mean, they got to choose where they wanted to go and there were some good battles and stuff like that. But and, and you know, and now I've got now now they're, you know, next time they get together, they have a lot of open choices, but I think most of them are leading to the vaults, which is one of the last big sections up in Gardmore proper and also where, um, uh, what's his name? Sir Oakley has been trying to purge the evil. Um, but I think the game that I'd, I'd rather talk about because it was kind of an, a fun and interesting experience was the one I ran yesterday. Instead, you know, I've been jonesing for D and D cause I'd missed like three sessions or it looked like I was going to miss three sessions and that was going to really bum me out. So I invited a bunch of people over for a 4th of July barbecue and a D and D next play session. Oh, cool. And, um, in doing so, I decided that I really wanted to kind of, you know, put my money where my mouth is, and I was going to run this as lazy a DM session as I could possibly run it. So I spent probably, I think I spent three times longer coming up with a musical playlist to play during the game <laughs> than I did in any other preparation for the game whatsoever. Um, I think I spent maybe, on, certainly on the short side of a half hour uh, in preparation for this, and, and I think it was even less than that. Um, I sat down with a three by five note card and I said, what's the core seed of the game? And I wrote that down and I said, okay, what are like three adventure location areas? And I wrote those down and then I said, okay, what are the, who are three notable NPCs that they might be interested in? I wrote those down and said, who are three notable villains? And I wrote those down. And then I, I wrote down some 12 inner relationships, you know, my fiasco style relationships. Mm -hmm. So the 12 relationships kind of tied PCs could potentially tie PCs to either the 
villains or the NPCs or the location areas. And that just kind of built a, a fabric of, you know, connection to the story. Um, and I think that was the only prep that I did in the beginning. Uh, oh, and I, I, I wrote 20 random names down on a three by five note card. Um, how many three by five note cards did you use? So I have a total, I have them all sitting right here <laughs> cause I kind of keep it around. It's like an artifact of this. And it was a total of six, five that I had done beforehand. And then one where I wrote the names of the characters and the relationships between them so that I could keep track during the game. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was it. Uh, I reskinned the monsters. This was D and D next playtest, so I reskinned monsters mm-hmm. from the um, the little creature guide that it came with, um, and I uh, used my little dungeon map cheat sheet that I've got that shows me all the maps that I have. And I picked out. I think I picked out about six or seven maps that could have potentially been used. Um, I set up a couple of them because one was like a double side, a double double wide poster map of the keep. I, I forget what the name of the, it was one of the old map packs from years ago. And it came with oh. two poster size maps that made one keep. If you put them together and if you can't, if you don't have it, you ought to get it. Cause it's one of the better poster maps for like a ruined fortress. That's big. Um, It'd be awesome if we had a name so we could look that up. Oh, well, if you want, I'll, I'll look <laughs> it up. I didn't want to type and, you know, get yelled at. That wasn't um, from the Monster Vault, was it? N- no, it was Intervale one. Okay. No, no, no. This is from a. This is from back in three point five. Um, oh wow. Okay. Yeah, they had back. these. Yeah. Um, I forget what they called map. Uh, Dragon Down Grotto was one of them. Um, sorry for the typing. Uh, they were called uh, Fantastic Locations. Hmm. Um, there was Fields of Ruin. Was that the one that came with the maps? I think it was Fields of Ruin, uh, and it comes with, like, the King's Road and the Keep of the Fallen Kings and then one other map. And I, I and you can get it on Amazon used for new for nine, for $10, and it is well worth it. And this uh, is a Watsy product? It's a Watsy product. They put it out a while ago. This, this is one of their attempts to do maps. I stuck it in the uh, Skype thing if you want to click on an edit to show notes. Um, but it's great because it's these two big poster maps. Well, here's the irony. So the irony is we never actually use those maps. I set them out. I put my big acrylic sheet over them. I then put another map on top of that. And then I put a generic map and I said, you know, I have zero commitment to any of these maps. It took me five minutes to pull the maps out. Mm -hmm. So if they, if they use them, great. If they don't, great. And we did the interpersonal relationships when people showed up. Uh, I came up with a story, which was a revolutionary war focused, you know, the theme was kind of revolutionary war. There's a small town. Uh, you'll like it because it was Forgotten Realms. Um, it, the Zinterim, Zinterim mercenaries were kind of holding this town in in dictatorship. It was a, a salt mining town, and they originally hired the Zinterim to act as mercenaries uh, to fight off orc tribes. But now the orc tribes are long gone, but the Zinterim are still maintaining control, and they are under the yoke of these these guys. And um, there is a keep that was high up on the mountains that had trebuchets aimed at the town. So if the town folk rebelled, they would just trebuchet the town and turn it into dust. So the party kind of got involved. Oh, and it, the, so the, the, the core seed was the party standing there. And in the center of the town square is a salt, mi- a well-respected salt miner who had spoken out against the Zinterim and now has a Zinterim dagger sticking out of his chest. And they just left him there right in the middle of the street. They didn't even try to hide the fact that they'd killed him. And that was the first moment where the town realized they're going to have to get out from underneath the yoke or they're going to they're going to all be either killed or enslaved. 
and uh, I kind of let it go. I didn't I didn't plan for where they were going to go. I, I had some NPCs for them to interact with, um, and uh, I let I let the party go wherever they want, and it was pretty cool. I mean, they 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 came up with you know the story kind of moved on. They had some interesting meetings and with with folks, and they got into a scrape with some Zinterim that were giving them trouble. You know, one of Matt James was in the game, and he, he had played a dwarf fighter who kind of yelled at the Zinterim. It was the first time any of them had ever yelled at the Zinterim before. And the Zinterim at night went after him and then got into a big fight, and they killed the Zinterim, and then they had to figure out how they are going to get rid of the bodies so the Zinterim didn't know they were killed and, you know, that it was going to start the revolution. But, like, one moment they, they went through these salt tunnels, which were haunted, of course. So they fought a bunch of skeletons, and they fought this white thing. And um, they went up through the salt mines and got up to the top. And I thought like, okay, now they're going to go fight off the hobgoblins, interim mercenaries that are up there threatening the town with the trebuchets. And they have this like molten, this liquid fire that they can use to sabotage the trebuchets. Well, my wife who played the thief just snuck in and sabotaged the trebuchets without ever alerting anybody. So I never even pulled the map out. (laughs) And, and I was like, great, you know? And so they, she went back and they did, you know, said, yeah, there's a bunch of hobgoblins and they have ogres that are manning the trebuchets, but it's all right. I already poured the liquid fire in the hinges and I think those things are not going to work. And so they said, all right, I guess we go back to town. So they went back to the town and they got yelled at the main, the, the main villain who was a Zinterim commander. Um, you know, they got into a fight with him. They rescued a guy who was about to be executed. And then the guy signaled the trebuchets and then the trebuchets broke down in the middle of firing and collapsed half the mountain under the, the falling <laughs> rock. So... You know, the party watched the trip, and that kind of freaked out the Zinterim that were remaining, and, and uh, there was, you know, a lot of fun. But, you know, I mean, some of the interesting bits was, like, one of the one of the players kind of played his character as this kind of noble, this French noble swashbuckler type who had lots of servants and was very kind of snobbish. And I had, I had un, unbeknownst to them, the main villain, the, the, the Zinterim commander also kind of considered himself this nobleman with his pencil-thin mustache and kind of above everybody. So the <laughs> yeah, two of them uh, got into this swashbuckling, you know, this bit of swashbuckling back and forth. Like, oh, I see you studied with so-and-so, you know. And and, and the funny <laughs> thing was like, you know, so they, they have this swashbuckle thing and, and, and the, the PC, the, um, James was the guy running the, the French, and I can't remember the name of the character. Hang on, I got it written down on the card. Uh, Pepe. <laughs> of course it that, was. His, his character, Pepe, uh, you know, sliced the pencil thin mustache off of the guy, drew like a pee on his cheek, and then like depanted him and knocked him on the ground and said, like, that is that humiliation is quite enough for you. And then Matt James's character comes over and beheads the guy. <laughs> <laughs> of course he does. Right. And, and I suspect all of this was a little bit easier to pull off with next. Um, yes. If, if anything else, because the. The library of monsters is pretty limited right now, anyway. So there wasn't, you know, a sorting through all of your stuff and figuring out what to pull out and all that. That's that's always my big hesitation with with going low prep is that I always there's so many monsters to choose from in fourth edition. You know, how am I going to pick out the ones that I want to use? It usually takes me an hour. Yeah, it just limited. That's kind of why I'm hoping that they keep it limited. Well, I'm hoping that the monster manual won't be huge. There's nothing telling you guys that you have to use anything more than the monster vault. Like you just don't. You don't have to go to the. Don't go to the builder. Don't cut every monster books. The monster vault is the best designed monster book that they've ever made. Oh no, I agree with that. Yeah, I agree with that. I don't anything else? I mean, except Epic Tier. You know, but as soon as you're done with Epic Tier, and as, if you're in Heroic or you're in Paragon, you can reskin everything from the monster vault and turn it to whatever you want. And they're simple, simple guys to run, and they're very effective. So I, I don't. I actually. I mean, I've been doing that for 4E now for a while, mm-hmm. and I love monster. I have. I just use the book. I don't. I don't go on and. 
print them out. You know, I just open the book to whatever monster happens to be in there. Maybe I'll bookmark them beforehand. So I, I don't. I think the lazy DM thing can still work with with 4e. Although I was doing it with Next, and it worked really well with Next. And the advantage with Next is there was a lot of role playing up front while their char- people sure. players are out their characters and the relationships. <clears throat> people the, so there was like an hour of you know relationship and initial story stuff before they really got to their first fight. And then 4e that would. You know that would have been the kiss of death. That means you can only basically get two fights. Um, oh, sure, the amount yeah. of time four hours. I was say you can do all of that stuff with forty too. It's more about how you set up the game. It, it, you, it was because of your limited time issue. Yeah, yes, but I think even with lower level, with lower level forty, and if you keep things relatively simple, like maybe only one monster type, and then using D and you know using outs, combat outs, so that you know after half the guys are bloodied or dead, they run away or leave or yeah. surrender. Then you can still do some pretty quick stuff, even in a in a in a lazy DM thing. And of but, course, this is all based on a really early version of Next. I mean, everything runs really quickly and smoothly uh, when you when you're just got a really basic core system. You know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that was a, a problem. And one thing is, I've I've been running some of the friends and family playtests as well, and the rules have changed. So right. I'm, I don't know. I mean, luckily I had a guy at the table who loves kind of pouring into the rules. So he was the rules lawyer. And I just, I don't think, how does, how does healing work? I don't know. Tell me. You know? <laughs> so, um, it doesn't still. That was probably, yeah, I know. Um, <laughs> bit of a problem. Like it, the rules were really loose mm-hmm. and we're getting to the point where like roll and they're like, did you roll higher than 11? Yeah, you're good. You know, like I wasn't even matching it to DCs. <laughs> I didn't really have any firm stuff. I was like, yeah, that looks fine. I did kill a character. One of the characters died, and two dropped. Three dropped in one round, and I thought that was going to be the end of the game. Wow! wow. I had one of them, you know, kind of <clears throat> one character, one of the one of the NPCs that was about to be killed, picked up a sword and fought, and so she switched over from her wizard or from the cleric that died to a to a straight fighter, cool. and then they they pulled it out, so it worked really well. But one of the things that's kind of interesting to me, and I've been thinking more about, is. Ardmore is a published adventure, and this one was completely just, you know, out of my ass. It was, it's interesting to see how much less work it seems to be to run my own adventure than a published adventure. And I wanted to get your guys' take on published, you know, running a published module versus running a, um, you know, b- b- running a homebrew campaign, which you think is easier or harder. Typically, I only run, um, published modules when I can find a way to fit them really well into the larger campaign story that I'm telling, right? So uh, we ran Tomb of Horrors in in the big 1 to 30 campaign because it mirrored what we were doing already in the game anyway really well. Right. Um, And so in that case, I I thought it was actually easier because I didn't have the prep to do in terms of designing monsters and traps and maps and all that kind of stuff. Uh, You know, I had to draw the maps or whatever, but... um, there was less prep for me in terms of encounter design because it was already designed and I was just running it straight as is. Um, that said, as we all know, this weekend that campaign ends. And after that, we've talked about just sort of doing a bunch of short little campaigns and saying, you know what? I own Gardmore Abbey. I'd like to get some use out of it before uh, we move on to another edition. You know, let's play that. Or I, you know, uh, I've been trying to get, convince them to play Gamma World. They're kind of hesitant. It seems like. Oh some man, Gamma World's so much fun. I've never played it, and I got all three boxes. Oh. <laughs> I'd, I'd love to play Gamma World again. All right. Well, maybe you and I will play at Gen Con, huh? Sure. I'd love to. So, I have uh, I have a little city that I create or a little town in, in Gamma World that I created that I keep going back to that I love. Awesome. But yeah, so um, we're trying to to do a lot of these little short little things, and so that'll I'll be able to better assess your question at that point. 
Right. Yeah, I mean, Gardmore, Gardmore is probably one of the best designed modules I've run, and it's and it doesn't seem to be requiring, but it it, it requires a lot of work, and it's mostly just reading and kind of cross referencing stuff. Mm-hmm. That's um, the issue with it because I have it, and when I opened yeah. it up, it was like, holy crap! Well, it's four I'm books. Have... Yeah, yeah, I know. It's, it's all over books, the place, and it, and the stuff is all over the place, and yeah. you know, like. There, there was in one encounter. I had to have three of the four books open because the guy was using one of the cards from from the from the thing. So I had to pull that's the power book, up from that. So that's in book one. Yeah, and then like I, they were going through one of the dungeons, so I had to pull the dungeon map up from that with the with the descriptions of the locations in it, and then the encounter book for that mm-hmm. because then they run in the encounter. And if you like, if you if you don't pay attention to the, the the book that describes the dungeon that doesn't have the encounters in it, you will miss the stuff that's in there. Oh. And then they'll walk through a hallway, and you'll miss all this cool stuff that was in the hallway because it's in book one. So anytime they walk, the, anytime they're exploring anywhere in, in the abbey, you have to have, yeah. you have to have both books out. Yeah, I mean, right? If they're if they're not in a fight, you can get away with one book, but then the minute they get into a fight, then you need the second one, and you can't put away the first. Okay. Um, so I, that just it all, you know, it's kind of a hassle. I mean, the, the adventure's fun, and it's a nice sandbox place, and they can go to lots of different places, and and you know, but. But it requires a fair bit of effort. And I think some of it, it's like when it's not yours, it's more than – it reads like more than just inspiration. Like I would think that inspiration is the main thing you would get from a published adventure. That, right. And, and that was how I took the e, E1 through E3 series when I ran my anti, my Orcus, my uh-huh. Shield Basher Orcus one. Is I, I, I like the ideas – I like the time assist, the black star, this ancient primordial artifact that's trying to destroy the universe. And, and of course, I love that they're going to go fight Orcus. But I, I ended up, like, stealing stuff from Throne of Bloodstone because it was a great way to kind of introduce him to Thanatos. And, you know, I just I, – I used the maps and sometimes I'd use the encounters. But most of it I just used as inspiration. Mm-hmm. And I felt like I was cheating or either cheating the adventure or cheating myself by not using what was in it. But most of it was, in, you know, no no insult to Bruce Cordell, but a lot of it wasn't that useful. Like, it just wasn't that useful to me. Mm-hmm. So I, yeah. I think I think sometimes it can be easier to just not run with a published adventure or just steal stuff from it once in a while without saying, like, we are going to go through this. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I mean, part of it is uh, I, I've enjoyed using it as as saving me from having to do encounter prep, right? Because if you can find a good one that's that's written sort of in the later half of, of 4E anyway, where they've uh, designed the monsters well. <clears throat> um, it's also helpful in terms of story, right? Every now and then I don't have to sit there and spend a week thinking about my story and I can have my mind working on other things that I'm working on, right? Um, and And just finishing up the 1 to 30 campaign, I'm looking forward to not having to develop story and and figure out what I'm going to do anymore and and just sort of take a break until a story sort of speaks to me and then I'm ready to go again. Right, right. Like I'm I'm looking forward. I have the Temple of Elemental Evil. We talked about this last time. Mm -hmm. You know, I have the Temple of Elemental Evil, the original Gary Gygax one, and I want to run that as like one of my first D&D Next Mm -hmm. mini campaigns. And, you know, I mean... If the problem is like you read it and it's like you, you you should read through this whole thing twice and it's like it's 130 yeah. pages. Yeah, it's a novel. <laughs> right, like that's it's a, crazy. I could yeah. just make it up and it'd be faster. So it's it's that well, and of, a lot of it's repetitive too because you've got you know a dozen rooms or something that have the exact same description and there's nothing in them. 
Yeah, right. you know, and, and it's like, okay, am I supposed to fill these? Should I just leave them blank? And this, and and you know that when it comes to exploring this, the players are going to get bored. Oh, it's another empty room! Yay, you know. <laughs> well, and I, I'm I'm finding because I'm because I just, I've just finished reading through book one in prep in a theoretical prep. I mean, the vote's right. not all done yet, but it's pretty well set that we're, that's what we're going to be doing. Right. Um, I've been reading through and I finished book one, and there's many times as I read through book one that it references stuff in the other books. Yeah, and I'm like, well, none of this makes sense to me yet, but I just have to take it on faith that it will once I read the other stuff, you know? Yeah, it's, it takes some work, and I, but I think all of them do. Like, I mean, I'm running um, um, when we talked about this White Plume Mountain, which is a 32 page adventure. Like, it's not that thick, but it mm-hmm. still took me a fair bit of effort. They, to, have, they haven't done but, adventures that short though since first edition. No, and I wish they would, but I mean, they do for DDI. Like the DDI adventures are about that length, I suppose. Um, but, but Mike, what I found is that over the different um, editions of the game. If the game, if the if the adventure was designed for tournament play, yeah, you can run it as is, Without and there's very record. little prep. But if you want to, but and especially in a lot of the later editions where the modules weren't designed for tournament play, they they had all these rich stories behind them and stuff like that. Right. I would much rather use those as inspiration. Yeah. Instead yeah. of actually running them as is, because a lot of times. You know, you're going to miss some – my big fear is that I lose one tiny detail that, like, linchpins the whole damn thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, that, and there's then, actually and a bunch like, of – like, oh, crap, <laughs> you right. know. There's a bunch of scenes in Gardmore that I missed because I just skipped it when I was reading. Right. You know, so there was, like, a whole scene with a bunch of harpies, and, and I could have done this thing. Instead, they just fought harpies. And it was like, oh, there's this whole role play thing I could have done. And, <laughs> you know, and then there's, like, the Etten that they can bribe. And, mm-hmm. like, well, they chased the Etten away by having him chase a bear so, that they summoned, and, and the summoner hated the bear. So, you know, that worked fine, I guess, anyway. But, I, like, even with Gardmore now, the whole thing is kind of changing into something else for me. So, I, I don't know. It's It's an interesting bit of, you know... It's an interesting thing that I'm noodling through. Uh-oh. That's it for that's me. Out. That's that's <laughs> I guess I'm done. Um, yeah. All right. Well, that's interesting. I, I look forward to – because you're going back to Gardmore? Yes. I'll be going back to Gardmore next week. So, and we probably have about three or four sessions left. All right. And how many sessions did it take you to run? Uh, I, I, I'd have to count, but I'd say maybe a total of ten. Okay. I, that. I, I'm estimating eight. Ten, ten plus. Yeah, eight to ten. Okay. But it depends. Yeah. So you're a little ways away from wrapping that whole thing up, and then uh, you know what you're on to next. Uh, I will probably. I'm either going to be running a first level Neverwinter slash Undermountain mashup, uh-huh. which I talked about before. Um, if it, if we do four E, and we probably will, because I don't think there's going to be enough next stuff to to really run on. Right. Uh, and then I don't know. Probably. And then I'm thinking maybe Temple of Elemental Evil, but I'll probably run it more from an inspired by and then mm-hmm. than a full a full. Run yeah, through. I'm thinking about converting the Return to the Temple uh, for yeah. a D&D next game. Yeah, yeah. So. But, but I need more monsters before I can do that, I think. Right, and I will be continuing to explore the, the ways of the Lazy Dungeon Master. Right on. All right, shall we let Randall talk? I hear he actually played this this month. I did. Rumors actually, on the internets. Yeah. Yes, that's right. Um, they went through, uh, as you know, we're playing my, uh, my Mist campaign. Which sort of falls in between sort of the two things that Mike was talking about. I'm not running a published adventure, but at the same time, I'm retrofitting an adventure game, <laughs> you know, yeah. video game, to fit, um, you know, D&D rules and things like that, which is a challenge all of its own. Because some things, you know, are challenging to fit. I think a lot of it works, but there are some things that you got to kind of go, mm-hmm. you know, 
figure the stuff out for. Case in point, they visited the last age. As, as you know, they're going to these different ages, and they're collecting red and blue pages to fit into these books where the two brothers of Atrus are um, both trying to convince the party members to release them, right? Right. And so they're, they're getting to the last age of Channelwood, which is basically this big watery swamp. Um, there's no ground, but there are all these, like, walkways and stuff over the water. And the idea is that... Which you've different- almost certainly built some sort of massive, uh, elaborate... 3, 3D, I, 3D terrain for them to... <laughs> well, I, it was less elaborate than I wanted it to be. Um, it, I could not get the, the the pillars of the trees for the second level to work out. So what <laughs> I did um, was um, create two 2D versions, um, and the third I used the actual game itself. Um, but that was okay because the third level was more of an exploration level and not there was no combat going on on that level. Mm-hmm. So I actually u- let them use the game to explore what that third level was like. But like one of the conceits in the game is that you can't get to the you can't get to the second level in the trees without utilizing um, some elevators and stuff, which are powered by water, which has to be turned on at a um, windmill on the other side of these walkways. Oh. And yes. Yeah. <laughs> and um, and they figured out the water pretty quickly, but one of the things I did was just to prevent um, the players from well, why don't we just climb the trees? Right. Was the fact that when I first, without even saying anything to him, I said, "Well, you see these huge tall trees, and the barks are covered with an oily, viscous substance." And so immediate, and I didn't even have to say, "Well, it could be poisonous. It could be this." They totally avoided it. <laughs> It was like, yep, climbing the trees is out. <laughs> oh, yeah, they always will. And it was just the description. They didn't even have to, you know. Oily didn't have trees? To... Who wants that? Well, Tur- exactly. Turns out it was actually sticky and would have helped them climb. Yeah, right. right. <laughs> Healing potions. Yeah. <laughs> and, of course, all the time it's like, well, yeah, it's poisonous sap. Didn't now, you know that? <laughs> now, but, all, of, know. all of that said, the the little bit of time that I spent playing through Mist, not being able to do that kind of stuff was really frustrating you know it's like no yep. i could walk over there i can see it and there's nothing uh-huh. in my way i should be able to go over there you know the game's very rarely and, and by design um yeah. so i kind of like the idea of of a D group going through it and saying you know what we're just going to climb the trees because they can't right. <laughs> and in some cases i've allowed them to do that mm-hmm. but like i said in a lot of the cases when i think it would hurt the story or the or the puzzle or element that you know, was sort of the point, then I've created these sort of artificial barriers that are not, you know, it's not like a giant wall, but it's it's enough of a pain that if they go ahead and use an unconventional method, they're going to pay the price for it. Mm-hmm. Um, like, for example, I didn't have, I didn't want them swimming in the water either. So I told them that along with these trees, as you're walking along, every now and then, I kind of described it as like a, uh, you know, a Pleistocene era type of thing, big giant insects and stuff. Nothing's harming you, but, you know, big dragonflies and things. And I said, every now and then a dragonfly will fly low over the swamp and this tentacle will come up and grab it (laughs) and pull it down. Well, they were not interested in going into the water after Mm -hmm. that. (laughs) Yeah, exactly, right? So um, they managed to get up to the second level, and the, the one main foe that I wanted them to fight was a horde of these sort of... Um, oh, they're like they're the they were the undead remains of the civilization that used to live there, and so th- they were kind of like big lemurs, hmm. but they were zombies. And I used um, uh, skull something zombies. I can't remember what they were called. 
Skullborn zombies or something, and I just re- retooled them mm-hmm. to these like lemur-like things. But the nice thing about these guys was they could run under and over everything because it's all bamboo or wood, and so they had far more mobility than the players did. The players are pretty much confined to the to the pathways, narrow pathways, and into the the huts at the various different parts of the bath in the pathways. And, um, of course, they they still plowed through those, and those were minions, and they plowed through those pretty good. The main boss I had at that level was a retooled Penangolin. Hmm. I think that's how you pronounce that. You're just making up words. <laughs> it's the, it was actually a creature that goes all the way back to the fiend folio. Wow. The head separates. Oh, yeah, the head with the intestines coming out the bottom. Right. And which was, that was a nice gross-out factor for them. Yeah, that's really uh, gross. <laughs> and, the fiend folio, uh, I think, is one of the best monster books ever. Oh, it was pretty good. And and again, it didn't give them a huge giant challenge. I didn't have a big threat to a lot of my players this time around. Um, but the very end was the most curious because there was a, a chance then once they put these final books, once they put the final page at each book, or not quite the final page, um, each of the brothers said, okay, look, go into the library, put in the right puzzle, um, put in the right code. Not library. Go into the fireplace, put in the right code, and you'll see a red page and a blue page. And each brother said, grab my page, but leave the other page alone. And both of them said, whatever you do, don't touch the green book. You know. And, of course, the players are pretty smart. And my uh, wizard in the group has a tendency to just – he's the one that will just touch stuff and go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he does, he just like, whatever, touching it. you know. And so he touched the green book, and he gets teleported. To where Atris is. And Atris tells him, you know, do you have the missed book, you know, or do you have the final page of the missed book? Because they were, they found a note that um, described where that was located at, and they had that with them. And it just so happens that the person that had gone through to meet Atris had the page, which was lucky. <laughs> um, but uh, they talked, and um, uh, the wizard decided to go ahead and let Atris go back to take care of his sons. And so when Atris reappears in the library, the rest of the party is standing around. They go, okay, where's our friend? And so they're immediately suspicious. <laughs> they're starting, and they start like giving him the third degree. And, and finally, um, Atris is just tight. I mean, he's, they're like children to him. It's like, and so, I mean, he's not like an old wizened wizard, but he is an he is a fairly powerful, uh, you know, it's in my game, he's a fairly powerful mage. I mean, he could write descriptive worlds that can take you anywhere in the multiverse. So, you know, he can do these kinds of things. So he's pretty powerful. But he basically just, instead of get, not asking their permission, he just started walking to the books and tearing out all the pages of the prison books where the two brothers were kept. Mm-hmm. Until there was a little pile of all these pages, and then he set that stuff on fire. Hmm. And the guys are just standing around, and they're going, <laughs> well... <laughs> And it's time to put up or shut up. Right, exactly. So they didn't attack him, and eventually, because Atrus was saying all along, look, I need the missed book to return back. And so I can't, I have to leave your friend because we can't both come back at the same time. And so, so, but I can send your friend back once I go back there, which is what he did. And and that resolved the, and that ended that um, portion of the campaign. So and they managed to do it without um, releasing either of the brothers, which would have been a big boss fight. Mm-hmm. Um, and I always knew that that was an outcome, so I wasn't worried about that. I wasn't worried that there would, you know, um, 
that they would miss out on a big fight or whatever, uh, because I knew that that was one of the outcomes of the uh, of the actual adventure. Hmm. So the part that we, but I really thought that I mean the battle wasn't a big deal. Um, I didn't expect them to give Atrus the grief that they did. That was the interesting part. Um, I was like just like going, okay, guys, <laughs> and I was trying to play Atrus as being annoyed. But not angry, mm-hmm. but still determined to do what he needed to do, which was destroy the prison books of his sons um, that were providing portals, you know, potential portals for his sons. So um, the nice thing about this is that because they didn't fight or kill the sons, the sons could still possibly be in play in the mm-hmm. ages that they're at. So, And there is actually a later game, and I don't know if we'll ever go there or not. But there is another version of the game, uh, Mist 4 Revelations, is um, about those worlds that they're at. Um, and mm-hmm. so that's always in the background. I can have that happen. Um, the next well, even, step... even without running through that game, you could, I mean, right. they, they could still be villains that come back and play a role in your, in your game. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And, that's what, and that's really what I mean. Um, uh, the next stop is going to be Riven, which is the direct sequel to Mist. Mm-hmm. Um, Atrus left him saying, look, I may need, you're welcome to use the ages as you see fit. Um, uh, and, um, but I may have, I may have to call on you later. And the party seemed amicable to that. And I said, okay. Um, especially once they found out that Atrus wasn't necessarily a bad guy <laughs> <laughs> and he returned their friend. So that wasn't a big deal. Um, and so the next step will be to. Uh, go to Riven, where they will have to rescue um, Atrus's wife, Catherine, from his father, Gen. And um, and there will be more um, interaction. The party is now 11th level, so they're Paragon tier, officially. And I want Riven to bring them to, like, oh, 13th or 14th at the most. Um, we're going to be picking up, because I'm going to start trying to play every two weeks, which means a lot less prep time and that also means less elaborate um setups mm-hmm. i'll probably still draw pretty extensive maps but there will not be the same um level of uh 3d terrain and stuff being used because you've been playing uh, monthly uh monthly yeah okay. so which is why they're only still pretty low level yeah um but uh i'm hoping that'll move things and i'm and i'm just leveling them as i see fit i'm not going okay. by xp and stuff so, um, and they seem happy with that. Yeah. So that's not a problem. And, um, yeah, we we flew through Epic tier once I started doing that. Right. And it, it just makes that a lot easier. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I'm going to be doing Riven. I'm, in fact, today I was working on a mind map for it. I'm using mind domo to, uh, to do a mind map for Riven and, mm-hmm. and, and outlying in the game, you know, all the different, you know, there's five different islands and there's, these are the main events that happen in game. And these are, you know, places that, you know, these are the major puzzles in the game and stuff like that. So I'm hoping that I'll be able to play a lot more fast and loose with it. Um, it's it's more sandboxy as far as the ability to explore stuff than even Mist was. So, um, and there are different possible outcomes. It wouldn't surprise me if they actually had to fight Gen. Um in this one, and he'll be a powerful mage and controller type. So, it, I'm looking forward to that part of it. So, should, and the nice thing is, and here's the question I actually have for you guys this week: is that at the end of that rift, at the end of the Riven campaign, 
if assuming they survive, they go through a thing called the star fissure, which will allow them to return back to their own world. And that's will be for the first time for a, in a long time that they'll be able to return back to their own world. What I'm looking for is a good paragon tiered adventure to jump them into after we get done with Riven. A prepared, I mean, a, a prepared adventure. Uh, I've only the a only module. I think the only um, r- published adventure that I've played in fourth edition was Tomb of Horrors. Although it, its first chapter starts in Paragon tier, so you could pull that out, but. Okay. It, it's not a sit down and play through the whole thing. The first chapter happens at you know one level, and then the next chapter happens five levels later, and then you know or whatever three levels later or four levels later or whatever. So yeah. it's it's set up to be something where you take each chapter and drop it into your already existing campaign, ah. and then by the end of it you've finished things up. Although I squished two chapters together, um, and just leveled up one of the chapters basically by just adding a. I think I just added a plus two to everything. Everything, oh, I, everything, everything I rolled, I just added a plus two and said, ah, and now it's two levels higher. Done. Yeah. <laughs> and it what worked. Level, it worked. What level are the guys? Well, right now they're 11th, but I expect them to be – and I can adjust the high up in, upper end um, of, for when they finish Riven because I can adjust the encounters and things like that so that I can, I can fill it out. My goal is to get them to be at least 13th level right. um, uh, through so, 11. Let's see. What were, the, what were the P1 through P3s? Because um, I think I'm trying to remember what the the dark elf one. Um, I think that was P two uh, of the new fourth edition adventure series. So you you want to do the, the new ones, right? Yeah. Sorry, I'm trying to find them. I'm frantically searching. What are the ones you did? Uh, so I did I did P one through P. I did all of them. Okay. Um. Uh, yeah, so King of the Troll Haunt Warrens was P one. Okay, Night- Nightworm Fortress was P. But th- but those would all be up need need some pretty serious updating. Uh I, I don't think they need any more updating than anything else. Like I I, I think I don't like I, like I said I don't think you can run any of these. Ugh. Yeah, Demon Demon Queen's Enclave it was called. Oh, okay. And it's fun. I mean that one that one was a good time. If you want to do some kind of fun dark elfy stuff. And that's all underdark stuff, right? It's all in, it's it's underdark, yeah. It's set in a that wouldn't be bad. Fervorall, and it's a conflict between um, uh, vampiric dark elves that worship Orcus, vice traditional dark elves that worship Loth. Okay. And you, you kind of get stuck in between. And it it was fun. It's got some good poster maps. It looks like it's expensive. It's twenty twenty two bucks to pick it up on Amazon. What is um, it? Demon Queen's Enclave. It's called. Um, I think the only, it's, it's, it's the first, it's also a nice four, you know, nice run into another plane of existence. Although I think it like jumps like two planes and that got really weird. That got very, you know, spell jammery. Oh, okay. Um, Or, or yeah, not spell jammer. What's the other one with all the planes? Planescape. Yeah. Like the, you know, the guy's fortress is it's in one plane, but when you go in, it actually takes you to a pocket plane. So I just oh, throw the okay. whole thing in the shadow fell. I would, I would, I would, I'd move everything to the shadow fell and just leave it there. Um, because the shadow fell is a good paragon kind of place on the assumption you're doing the, the, you know, Feywild and shadow fell as, as mm-hmm. sister planes to the material world. So it was, it was fun. Um, it would need updating, but you know, not any more so than anything else. Okay. Um, yeah, I expect any module that I write, I mean, to, that I um, that, that I read, well, I'll have to do some tinkering with. I'm not worried about that. Yeah, just, well, so yeah. I'll ask you, why, why would you choose a module other than running your own 
your own thing. Um, after coming off with all the labor that'll take modifying Riven, I'm going to want a break. Yeah. Well, just a min- literally just a mental break and not have to worry about storyline and so much and all that other stuff and just kind of let them float for a little while before I get on to the very last stuff that they need to do in, yeah. in Epic. Well, this this could be a little – the only tricky bit when you throw a published adventure in the middle is then you have this whole separate story that's kind of – you know, completely away from all the story that you've done beforehand and, and that you're doing after. So mm-hmm. if you, if you did the whole mist world and then you're going into Riven, but you want something in between, then going to like the traditional D and D stuff, you know, mm-hmm. it kind of breaks so this out. would be after Riven. Oh yeah. Okay. Not before. Yeah. And you've got, and you, and you've got a larger, um, storyline dealing with, what was it Gaia and, and your world and all that? Yeah. Yeah. A lot of this is, is, is prepped for a test because, uh, Atris's daughter, who they do not know of yet, um, Yisha, a- is actually the personification of, um, or sort of the manifestation of the Gaia, who is going to get them to try to repair um, the Gaia. And the gods will go away, mm-hmm. and the Gaia will um, be restored. So, I mean, because the other thing is, you could take an adventure like Pyramid of Shadows. And, you know, reskin it for a higher level and pull monsters out of the monster vault and run almost every encounter as it is in the in the pyramid, just with higher level stuff. Ooh, and, no, that's and, a possibility. And that would run really well. And Pyramid of Shadows is a nice, concise, you know, it's the story's not tied to anything else. That was that was a very memorable adventure. I think that was one of my, my favorites. Okay. Um, the only problem that I had with it is it didn't fit the whole Orcus plot line that I had. But what, uh, do, you, what do you know about Revenge of the Giants? Cause, oh, everything. Because yeah. that, that's in the right in the right level range for you too. Yeah, the new one. That's, yeah, that's a good point. That's, and now is that one online or is that a published adventure? It's published. It's pub- it's, well, it's, so the, they're a big super adventure. Uh, yeah, so there's it's confusing because there's Revenge of the Giants, which is the published hardback. Mm-hmm. But then um, Perkins just put out all through all oh, four of the new Against the Giants, right? Which are remakes of the original Against the Giant series, which G1 is what I remember. G3. Yeah, three. Yeah. So if you want to run those, and those are all about that same level, um, and I okay. would tr- I would trust those more because they've been updated with newer stuff. Mm-hmm. That's um, not a bad idea. The, the Revenge of the Giants one, if I recall, it was all old, and you're going to have to redo all the monsters in it. Yeah. Well, it'd be cheaper too because I have a DDI subscription. So. There you go. Yeah, right. And, <laughs> and they look, they look pretty good. Now, the, the only problem yeah. that, that I saw with that is they are built like a first edition module, but with fourth edition encounters, which means right. it'll take you 38 sessions to get through one of the, <laughs> you know, to get through one of the buildings. Well, every, the, su- in it. the super adventure is going to take a long time, too. I think it's supposed to go through five levels. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But I, I think that, yeah, I don't. I don't know that I trust the idea of taking Revenge of, or, you know, the Against the Giant series and turning it into a 4E module. Um, I think you'd you'd want to look at it and say like I'm going to keep the structure, but I'm going to have a limited number of giants in it, and then then you know build it out so that each building is a couple of knights. Yeah, you're probably right. I mean, that's yeah. I would have to do some get, modifications. Get bored, silly. If every room you walk into is an hour and a half battle with giants. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hey, look, more giants. <laughs> more giants. Yay. So. But okay, yeah, well, those are some good ideas. I'll take a look at those. Um, I've always intrigued with Pyramid of Shadows, but oh. it's the giant. But oh, I love the giant noise. series. So. Oh, oh no! But I'm, that's good. I'm done. So. <laughs> All right, on. Well, then, uh, then we're done. Episode, yeah. episode over. 
Boom. Mike, say goodbye. Goodbye. Randall, say goodbye. Bye-bye. And I also say goodbye, and we will see you next month at Gen Con.